This morning we are going to be in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn there. Chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 11. And we'll get into our message. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. When you get there, if you have the means and you're able, I'd ask you to stand. If you need to stay seated, that's absolutely fine. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. So who's this letter to? All, right? Everybody. There's nobody left out. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So how does Paul feel about this church? He loves this church, so he has such joy in this church. I want you to get that. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And here's the goal, to the praise or to the glory and the praise of God Almighty. You can be seated. As you see it, because I have the microphone, I'm going to pray one more time. So y'all pray for me. Father, before we go any further, we recognize that this is your word. Lord, it was unable to be understood by carnal minds. Father, it is spiritually discerned according to your word. God, there is no way that we will get anything from it unless you give it to us through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, that's my prayer. I ask you, God, that each person here this morning would be able to receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that as we break the spread of your word, that, Lord, you would distribute it as it needs to be distributed. Father, I pray that the hearts that need to change, that you would change. Father, I pray you would remind us that we don't come in here to, to agree with everything that you said, or we agree with it, but, Lord, it doesn't necessarily agree with our lives. And, Father, we understand that. And so, Father, I pray that if repentance is what needs to take place, that you would lead us in. I pray that if confession is what takes, needs to take place, that you would lead us to confession. And, Father, I pray that no matter what you do in our hearts today, that when we leave here, we would be closer to you and more like you than we were that we came in. Father, don't let us leave here the same. Father, I pray that you would change us through your word today. Father, we know that that's what you desire to do. And Father, we pray that you would accomplish that in our hearts. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that you do for us. Lord, it's all because you are merciful and you are so gracious to us, God. And Lord, we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you from the, the question, how do I love my church. How do I love my church? The truth of the matter is, I would say for the majority of people that come to church, 
They come because it's the right thing to do. They come because they feel an obligation to do this. But they don't come necessarily because they love their church. They, a lot of Christians don't come because they find such joy in their heart when they think of every remembrance, Paul said. Every remembrance that I think of you, I find myself praying for you with joy. And so we see here all throughout this first chapter of Philippians a man that loves his church. He doesn't just feel like this is something that God is calling to and he has to do. No, this is a joy in his life. And he genuinely, from the bottom of his heart, he loves this church. Now, I take inspiration this morning from Miss Faye Ward. Miss Faye Ward is the lady that has been a member of this church for many years. And we laid her to rest last Sunday. That's the reason I wasn't here last Sunday. I had to work a 17-hour shift. And then I, I had just enough time to go and do the funeral. So I wasn't able to be here with you last Sunday morning. But we laid her to rest Sunday after church. And, you know, you don't realize a lot of times, but you know the old saying, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And that is the way I had felt all week about Ms. Ward. I really didn't know what we had until she was gone. And I had received such inspiration from her walk. If you were at the funeral, you know I talked about the example that she lived before us. And I took it from Scripture to show you that she exemplified the worthy walk of a Christian. And I didn't really see that while she was here. It wasn't until she was gone that I really began to see just the influence that she had, the example that she lived and should be for so many people. But one of the things that I've been thinking about this week is the love that she had to the church. Her family kept telling me over and over how much she loved her church, how much she loved her church family, how much she loved her small group. How much she loved her Sunday school. She loved her church. And this is a woman that, let's be honest, she stayed in the same church for a lot longer than most of us do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there aren't perfectly good reasons to leave the church sometimes. Maybe even this one. I hope that's never the case. But let's just be honest. Every church don't grow green grass. And so I'm not going to apologize to any other church this morning for trying to grow green grass for the sheep to be able to eat. But at the same time, I want you to be a church that you are here because the grass of the word of God is green. But I also want you to be here because you love God's people and you love being a part of what God is doing here. And so when I looked at a life like Miss Faye Ward and I see that over the years, she probably had many offenses that people did to her. People said things or people did things. Uh, she saw drama. She saw backbiting. She saw stabbing. She saw all these things in, in the midst of sinners all these years. And yet she kept on and kept on and she kept on. And I'm so thankful for somebody that, I will tell you, there are people in my life that have been here with me through the good times and through the times where I wasn't that good. I have made many mistakes over the years as a pastor. I have made many mistakes over the years as a Christian. And yet, I, I can remember, and I hope Ronnie don't mind me using him as an example, but there were times years ago when me and Ronnie would would clash as far as certain things that he wanted to do and certain things that I would try to step in and say, no, we're not going to do this, or we are. There have been times that I've watched Ronnie be so mad at me, he'd walk out and go home. And yet, we always come back together. We always sit down. There have been times that Nick and I have been at each other so much that we have to call each other into a private room to sit down and, and figure it out. And yet, 
We always work through it. We always keep figuring it out. And I'm going to tell you, I respect brothers like that. I respect people that no matter what we go through, they keep loving me. They keep, they keep standing with me. They keep, uh, I want people in my life that I know that in my good times and in my bad times, that you're going to hang with me. Again, if I'm not growing green grass, if I'm teaching things that are unbiblical, if I'm not doing something, I understand. There are some times that for you, for your, your family, I want to say to you, it may be better one day for you to leave. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the little things. I'm talking about the things to where I have sinned in some way, or you have sinned in some way, or your brother has sinned in some way, and we are so quick to just quit on each other. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And I never saw that in his war. And the answer that I come up with on how she maintained that for all these years is what her family told me over and over. She loved her church. She loved the people that God had put in her life to grow in this faith together with. And I am so thankful for a testimony of a life like this Lord's. And so I want to answer the question this morning, how do we love our church? I want you to be the kind of people that you love your church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the group of sinful people that God has put together to help each other grow to become more like him. How do you love those people? How do you keep finding joy in them? Not that it's a burden. Yeah, anybody in here ever, ever felt like it's a burden to love some people? It's hard. Some people are just hard to love, right? I want you to be able to be the kind of person that you can find joy in being with people that are hard to love. That you can find a, a deep sense of satisfaction that every time you think about your church and your people, joy is what comes into your heart. And I want to look at how the Apostle Paul was able. I hope you were able to pick out as I was reading the key words that he said. He said, every time I remember you, I pray for you in every prayer with joy in my heart. He said, I want you to know how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I want to walk through just a few scriptures to show you here that he's not talking about a perfect church. He didn't love this people because they had it all together. Let me prove it to you. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 25. Chapter 1, verse 25, look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says. Paul said, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. So here's one of the things that Paul recognizes. This is not a group of Christians that have reached their maturity level. They are still in progress. Now let's see what kind of progress he's talking about. Because maybe, maybe what he's saying is this is a group of people that they're in progress, but they've at least attained to a place to where they're easy to love. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Let's find out. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Now, why do you think Paul would have to put this in this letter? Because that's not what comes natural to you. What comes natural to you is looking out for your own interests. And then once those interests are met, I look out for the interests of others, maybe. Paul puts this in here because he's dealing with a group of selfish people. He knows that these are not people that are anti-selfish and they're just all about everybody else. No, these are sinners just like you and I, and they're selfish people. And that's why they're in progress, because they are learning to be more like Christ and not selfish. 
Let's look at a few more scriptures. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. What does that say to you? These are not people that don't complain. These are not people that never have anything negative to say. These are not people that don't fight. No, the truth of the matter is, these are people that they tend to grumble and they tend to dispute. What does it mean to dispute? They tend to argue. All right, let's see, because we're building this thing. Go with me now to uh, chapter 3, verse 2. <laughs> I like this one. Chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the what? The dogs. Now, he ain't saying this in a, in a new age term like, what's up, dog? That ain't, that ain't what this is. He said, look out for the dogs. Watch out for the, for the scavengers. Watch out for the ones that are coming in here to tear apart the things that shouldn't be torn apart. So in other words, he's saying, look out for people that are false leaders, false teachers. He's dealing with that in this church. Let's see what else he's dealing with. Go with me to chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntec to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What do you think he's dealing with here? Two of his main leaders in the church, they can't stand each other. They can't get along. And he steps on the scene. He says, man, I sure love these guys. I love y'all so much. I know you grumble and you complain. I know you backstab and you bite. I know that you're sinners that are in progress. I know that even some of your leaders can't agree and can't get along. But man, I sure do love y'all. Man, I sure do find so much joy in you. And then finally, the last thing, and I'll I'll move on from this. Go with me back to Philippians 1. And let's read verse 3 again. 3 and 4. He says, I thank my God. So Paul's thankful for this grumbling and complaining and fighting church. Ain't he? he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So does that mean that Paul just finds it in his heart every now and then to be thankful? Every time I think of you. Every time you enter into my heart and my mind. Every time I think of you, I thank God. Verse 4. Always. In every prayer of mine. For you. For you all. Making my prayer with what? With joy. It's a joy when I think about you. I yearn for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. So here's the question we're going to ask today. How can Paul and how can we have this kind of joy and this kind of love for such an imperfect church? Because wouldn't you agree that that's what we've got here? Anybody that may be visiting with us this morning, let me tell you, we got people in here that can't get along sometimes. We got people in here that grumble sometimes. We got people in here that backbite sometimes. We have people in here that um, that that are sinners. We have all kinds of people in this church, and none of them have attained to the perfection of Christ Jesus yet. They're here. So if you came here this morning looking for a church that don't have any of that, this is not the place. You can keep looking. But if you're looking for a place where people come together for the purpose of trying to progress in their faith, trying to become more like Christ and less like my sinful self, you're in the right place. And this morning, I want to teach you along with everybody else how the Bible teaches us to have 
such an affection, such a love, and such a joy in this kind of church. So the first way, we find it there one right at the other. You can't miss them. In verse 5 of chapter 1, here is the first way that you find this joy and love in such an imperfect church. <clears throat> verse 5 says this, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's why I have joy in my heart every time I think about you. Here's why I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Because I understand and I know that you are my partner in this gospel. If you are going to learn to love your church, then the first thing you have to do is recognize that you are a partner in the goal that we are trying to reach. There are many people that cannot find joy in their church. They cannot find love in their church because they have never found themselves as a partner in the goal that Christ is achieving in this body. Now, we go back, and if we were to do a little word study, this word comes from a Greek word. I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but it's something to affect a koinonia, I believe is how you say it. Here's what the word means. It means to have communion with. It means to have a fellowship in. It means to be a partner with. Now, we're not talking about that he's thankful and he loves them because we get together. I think it was Nick that said years ago in a sermon, he said, you can take two cats and tie them together by the tail, throw them over a clothesline, and they will be together, but they ain't got fellowship. <laughs> they will be together, but they ain't partners. They will be together, but they are not working together for the same goal. It's every man or every cat for himself. And what we have to understand is if those cats could ever get together enough to say, hey, you know, our goal is the same. We both want to get off of this fence to be able to go our separate ways. That's the goal. And if they could ever get together and say, we are going to work together to make sure that we are achieving this goal then there would be less clawing, there would be less biting, there would be less fighting because they have the same purpose. They are now partners. That's the reason why when people come to join this church, we give them the right hand of fellowship. Fellowship does not mean that you're just going to come together with us. No, it means you understand that we have a goal that we're trying to reach, and you are now becoming a partner in this goal. You are now proclaiming that you are in this fellowship, that we are going to work together to achieve this goal. Now, a lot of people would say, well, the only way I can be a partner is I must become a teacher. Or maybe I'm supposed to be a preacher. Or maybe I need to read some scripture. Or maybe I just need to hold a position of some kind. Let me explain something to you. Holding a position does not make you a partner in the goal. It may, but that does not mean that you are a partner in the goal. So here's what we have to ask. What is the goal of the gospel? Is the goal of the gospel to just get you forgiven of your sins and that's where the goal stops? The goal is, if you go with me to verse 11, we'll start from the end and go backwards. Look at verse 11. He tells you the goal. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So what is the goal? The goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because it's only through Jesus Christ that the fruit of righteousness comes. But the goal here is that I would live such a life that I bear the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and the end result, the goal is that it is to the praise 
and to the glory of God. The goal is not just that you become a good person. How many of you actually know that the goal of your Christian walk is not just that you quit cussing and you quit drinking and you quit smoking? You can do all of those things without becoming a Christian. The goal of a Christian is that you live such a life that you bear the same kind of fruits that Jesus bears as you follow him. And as the world sees you living like Jesus, it brings praise to the glory of God and to the praise of God our Father. So the goal in all of it is that we live in such a way that we shine a light for Christ in this world and people see God in us. That's the goal. Well, let's keep going backwards. How do we achieve this? How do we get filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, start with me in verse uh, 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's the fruits of Jesus Christ, right? This self-sacrificing love. Well, how do we get that? The next word says, with what? Knowledge. Knowledge. How are you going to become more like Jesus? How are you going to be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ if you don't learn about Jesus? See, again, you're not here to help you quit smoking. You're not here to help you quit drinking. Now, granted, should that be goals that a Christian should achieve? Maybe, probably so. I'm not going to say it's necessarily a great sin for you to drink a beer or for you to have a smoke or, or things like that. But is it something that if that is what your life is about, that that brings glory and honor to God? No, people are not going to look at you outside as the Marlboro man saying, boy, look at their God. People ain't going to watch you chugging beers going, man, that's a God-fearing man right there. It's not going to happen. And so, yes, those are absolutely things. But the point being is, is that we walk and we talk more and more like Jesus. We learn to turn the other cheek. We learn to control our anger. We learn to be loving. We learn to be forgiving. We learn to be compassionate. We learn to be long-suffering and, and gentle and kind. And we learn to put on the fruits of Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be a teacher to do that. Although if you're going to be a teacher, you better be already doing that. But the part to be a partner in that goal, you have to be here to learn, to grow in knowledge. And as you grow in knowledge, look what it says next. As you grow in knowledge, you also grow in all what? discernment. Now, because you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are able to discern. Now you can follow Jesus and say, okay, would Jesus be a drunkard? No, then it's probably a good idea that yes, I quit being a drunkard. Or you can look at it and say, would Jesus be um, hard and cold-hearted? Would Jesus smack somebody upside their face for something that they did to him? No, the Bible says, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he never opened his mouth. He loved them to the end. Matter of fact, on the cross, remember what he prayed? He didn't pray, Father, smite them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so we look at Jesus and we get this knowledge and then we learn to discern so that we can walk like he walked and then keep reading with me in verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's what I want you to understand. If you don't learn that the goal is not just that you be a preacher or a teacher, but that you come and you learn. And that when you leave here, you walk more like Jesus and less like you to the praise and the glory of God our Father. And if you don't learn that you are a partner in that goal, then you will never learn to love your church. 
you have to understand that I'm here to help other sinners to become less like themselves and more discerning. I'm here for the very purpose of the, the fact that I know that you're a sinner. I know that you need help. I know that you mess up. I know that you are adulterers and sexually immoral. And I know that you struggle with anger and with your mouth. And I already know that you struggle with fleshly desires. I know them things. And so when that happens to you, does that mean that I should just quit and give up on you? No, just the opposite. I'm a partner in helping you and myself to get to this place. I have a fellowship in this. And that's when my job really starts, correct? And so if I'm going to love my church, I'm going to have to see myself as a partner in this. Now, does this mean that we don't ever correct? No, just the opposite. You know what I love about the testimony about Ms. Ward? Her family and her small group. Her family said, you know, we could always come in and complain to her, and she would just sit there and listen. But she wouldn't agree with us. She would stop, and she would say, man, wait a minute. Have you thought about it like this? Or why do you have to do it like this? And she would correct, but she would do it in a loving manner. You know, her family says she was just so nice about it. The Bible calls that meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is when you have strength, but you know how to use it so you don't reward it over people, but instead you use your strength to love people. And so she don't just have to sit there and be weak and let you complain and never say anything about it. No, she can listen to your complaint, and then she can give you good guidance, and she can help you in the right direction. And her small group would tell me that. So they would say, well, they would talk to her about things and, and she would, after they would get it all poured out, then she would stop and she'd say, well, now, but do you have to say it that way? Do you have to do it like this? In other words, she understood, apparently, that she was a partner in helping them to become filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God Almighty. Are y'all tracking with me this morning or have I lost you already? And y'all do see that I'm coming straight out of the word with this. This ain't a preacher up here trying to make you fall in love with this church. No, this is the facts, Jack. From the word of God. If you want to love your church and have joy in it, you have got to see yourself as a partner in this goal. And when you see the goal and you see yourself as a partner in it, number one, you're going to be here. That's number one. If you ain't here most of the time, it's because you don't see yourself as a partner. If you're not here most of the time, it is likely because you're not a partner. Can I say that in front of a few of you all this morning? That's not my goal. I want to be honest with you. Maybe your issue this morning is that you don't see yourself as a partner and you really don't understand in your mind that we're here for a purpose and we're trying to reach a goal. That's the end result of the gospel. Yes, it starts with proclaiming the good news of Christ, but the end result is what we're doing right here. That's the end result of it. Next thing. Number two, comes from verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How do you love your church? You have to understand that everyone here is an incomplete work in progress. You hear what Paul said? He didn't say, I have joy for you, and I, I, every time I think of you, I have affection in my heart because you're perfect. He said, no, guys, I have joy because I know something. I know that the same one who started a good work in you, he's also going to bring it to completion. 
In other words, I know that what I see right now is not the finished product. Can I help you understand this morning that when you look at me, you do not see the finished product? Matter of fact, Paul goes on in the same book in chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, he says, I, speaking of Paul, I have not attained the perfection. I am not there yet, but I press toward the mark. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, guys, I'm not a complete work. And I tell you guys this morning that your pastor is not a complete work. There are things in this ministry that I am not good at. There are things in this Christian walk that I have not yet figured out. And I wish I had. There are things that I want to do in the ministry that I go, God, why can't I get it together? Why ain't I better at this? Why, ain't I, why can't I sympathize more? Why, why, am I, why am I so quick to be hard-hearted? Why is it that I struggle with these things? Can I tell you that I'm not a complete work yet? And can I tell you that you are not a complete work yet? You are a work in progress. But how many times do we quit on our brothers and sisters because we think that they should be complete? Or we think that they should be further along than what they are. Let me show something to you again. Read the verse 6 with me again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, so who started the work? Did you start the work? You didn't start the work. Christ did. And who's going to bring it to completion? He will. Let me explain something to you. I know we think we should be further along than we are, but the truth of the matter is, you are a work in progress that Christ began, that Christ is doing, and that Christ will bring to completion. And so, yes, I understand. I think you are to be further than what you are. And sometimes when you open your mouth and stupid falls out, I think to myself, you ought to know better than that. And maybe that's true. But the truth of it is this. You are a work in progress. And you are an incomplete work. And my job at that moment is not to quit on you. My job is to get back in as a partner on the goal and help the work in the body of Christ. Just like people like Ms. Ward would do. See, the reason I'm preaching this this morning is because the question that I kept asking myself whenever she passed away was, who's going to fill her shoes? The more I realized what she brought to the table, the more I realized what she did for the body of Christ at Wells, the more I asked the question as the pastor, who is going to fill her shoes? Keelan? Who's going to fill her shoes, Francis? Who's going to fill her shoes? Who is going to be the next one that understands that you are not complete? And I'm not going to quit on you when you mess up. I'm not going to quit on you when you fall terribly. I'm going to do everything I can to help bring the work to completion. And if you can get that in your head, then you can learn to love an incomplete, imperfect church that's still in progress. Y'all still with me? Number three. This is my last one. Comes from verse seven. Just walking right in line. Verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Now, again, I want to stress here, I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. Paul wants this church to know how much he loves them. Right? Y'all see it? He wants this church to know how much joy he has in them. Backbiting, grumbling, complaining, leaders that can't get along, selfish. Y'all with me? And read verse 7 with me again. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Love for your church comes from seeing our true common bond. Love for your church comes from seeing our true common bond. Let me tell you something this morning. I'm thankful for ministries that spread the gospel. Cowboy churches, motorcycle churches. I'm thankful for churches that spread the gospel. But can I tell you this morning that our common bond is not that we're all cowboys? If that is what binds you together, you've missed it. Yeah, that's right. I said it. And it'll be online. I'll get emails from it. That's right. Can I tell you this morning that if Harleys are what you have in common with somebody and that's what brings you together as a church, you missed it. Our common bond is not sports. Our common bond is not riches. This church in Philippi, do you know that you can go back to the book of Acts chapter 16 and you can read all about how it got started? Anybody want to take a guess and remember who the, the three founding members of the church of Philippi were? The first one was a woman named Lydia. She was from a place called Thyatira, but she had a house and lived in Philippi. Now the fact that she had a house that the church met in, and that Paul and the other missionaries stayed in while they there. What does that tell you about it? She had money. The fact that she was a seller of purple. The Bible tells us that basically, and I'm not over-exaggerating, she was a fashion designer. So she was a Ralph Lauren or a Gucci or whatever else. I don't know the fashion designer she <laughs> Amen. I'm preaching this gotcha. right, so, we don't know who these fashion designers are, but Lydia was one of them. She was a seller of purple. She was rich. She had good, she had good wealth in this place. She's the first one that the Apostle Paul led to Christ in this place. And the church ended up meeting in her house. Do you know who the second person was? When they left the prayer meeting that Lydia got saved at, there was a slave girl. A girl that was owned by these men. And they used her to make money. And the Bible says that she brought them great gain. She was a slave. She was used and she was abused. And she thought she had the spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller. She followed Paul and Silas around. And she would say, these are servants of the Most High God. And she was mocking them. Paul finally had enough, and he turned around. And in Jesus' name, he demanded that that demon spirit come out of her. And at that moment, she was saved. She's the second founding member of the church of Philippi. You remember what happened next? Because she brought her master such great gain, and they saw that she had been delivered, they got mad. They drove Paul and Silas to the middle of the city, and they had them thrown into jail. Also accusing them of proclaiming things that Romans can't follow. Whenever Paul and Silas go to jail, there is a prison guard, an ex-military. That's what they believe, that all these prison guards were ex-Roman military. So you've got this rough, tough military guy that is watching them, an earthquake comes, while Paul and Silas are praising God in the middle of this prison after they had beat them with many stripes. And then the earthquake comes, the chains fall off. The soldier is about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And then Paul says, hey man, don't do that. We're all still here. And the guy gets a light and he runs in and he looks. And he gets down on his knees and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And at that moment, Paul and Silas go to his house and they preach the gospel. And the ex-military rough and tough guy, he is saved with his whole family. Third family member of the church of Philippi. So let's put them together and let me ask you what their common bond is. We got a rich fashion designer. We got a used and abused young girl who was a slave. And then we've got an ex-military guy that is rough and he's tough, 
and now he is a Christian. Tell me the common denominator that makes this church stick together. Read verse 7 again. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Bobby, our common bond ain't cows. Never will be. Donnie, our common bond ain't harlots. Ronnie, never will be. Josh, your common bond with, with truck drivers and vans ain't trucks. Never will be. Not here. Not in this place. Francis and Keely, your common bond ain't sowing. Not in this place. In this place, your common bond is that you were lost. But by the grace of God, you have been saved and called into this body of Christ, into an incomplete work, a work of other people who are in progress, moving toward the same goal. And that is the bond that binds us together. And if it is anything other than that, it will not hold. That is the only glue that will hold you together with other Christians. And let me tell you something. If any of those three things are missing, you will not love your church. You will not find joy in your church. You will not be a committed member to what the church is here to do. So my question to you this morning is simple. Which one are you missing? If you don't have this kind of affection for the body of Christ, if you don't have this kind of joy that every time you think about it, you pray for them and you thank God that he put them in your life. If you don't have that, what are you missing? And I promise you, it's one of these three mindsets. This morning, I want to close by helping you understand that this is the example that Miss Faye Ward leaves behind. And I want you to notice one other thing that Paul says in, um, I didn't write the scripture down, so let me find it. In Philippians, Chapter 3, verse 17. Look at what he says here. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. You hear what Paul said? Hey guys, keep your eyes on those that they're not achieved perfection yet, but they've come a long ways. Keep your eyes on those people. Imitate them. Keep your eyes on them as wards. Imitate them. Do what they did. Have the same kind of mindset about the people of God that they have. Make sure you commit yourself to the body of Christ and the goal that it is trying to achieve. And when you have these three things in place, you can follow the same example that help people like Ms. Ward love her church. You know, I know we say this about people like her a lot, but I can't say it enough. She would walk out the front door out there and I would stop her and I would say, Miss Ward, is there anything that we can do for you? I mean, I'd say it just like that because I wanted to do something for her. Is there something that we can do for you? And she would say, no, no. She said, if I could just get these legs to, to work for me or if I could just get these kidneys to act right, she said, I'd be fine. She said, but other than that, I don't need anything. 
But what amazed me about that is that she knew her kidneys didn't have work and her legs wouldn't have work. But did that stop her from being here in Sunday school? Did that stop her from being here during the Sunday morning worship? Did that stop her from being here for their small group on Monday nights? She was committed because she was a partner in the gospel goal. She was committed because she knew that in this goal, she dealt with a bunch of incomplete people who are in progress of becoming more like Christ. She did this because she knew the end result was to the praise and the glory of God Almighty as you are filled with the fruit of, of, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So my invitation to you is this. Follow their example. Better yet, be an example. And then commit yourself to the partnership of what Christ is doing in this fight. If y'all would stand this morning. Remember, we don't come here. We don't come here for the word of God to tell us how good we are. To tell us that we do it all right. We come here because we're incomplete. Because we've still got a long ways to go. And so I pray that you let the word of God change you. Let it convict you. Don't let pride well up in your heart and say, well, that ain't me. I ain't got no problem with that. Not let it speak to you. And humble yourself before it. And then you ask him to forgive you of your sin and to lead you in this way and figure out how this message will apply to your life from here on out to make you more like Jesus. Don't come wherever you're, wherever you're leaving.